You're listening to a sermon from the Axis Church in downtown Nashville. For more information, please visit theaxischurch.org. Um, <clears throat> this is a special Sunday, as Gordon mentioned, and uh, one of my favorite things to say, other than Jesus saves uh, here at the Axis, is that I'm one of the pastors here at the Axis, uh, because the other two men behind me, uh, they're my pastors, they're your pastors, um, and it's a joy and privilege uh, to have Pastor Derek and Pastor Don um, overseeing me and overseeing us. And so uh, I've asked them uh, to, uh, as shepherds, uh, as elders, uh, men who are called and qualified uh, to, to lead God's people. Uh, shepherds are to know, lead, feed, protect, and care for the flock of God that he has placed them as overseers, and they do a fantastic job at this. Um, and uh, they're worthy of double honor. Uh, they're fantastic men and brothers and friends. And what I've asked them to do today, as is common, every, every season of vision that we have, the first three weeks of January, it's been this way ever since I can remember in our 12 years as a church, um, the, we, we address the priority of the Bible and the life of the Christian week one. And then week two uh, is where you hear from your elders. And then week three is where we get into more of the particularized um, money and plans for the calendar year that's before us. That's next week. So this week I've asked, as, as I said, we do this each year, them to prepare a seven to, ten, seven to nine minute um, encouragement uh, to, to you all. So we're each going to take um, from our heart, and I address this as shepherds overseeing a particular flock. Rarely do we stand shoulder to shoulder like this. Often metaphorically speaking, there's a shepherd there, there's a shepherd here, and there's a shepherd here. Perhaps that one's on a top of a hill, perhaps over there it's a lower valley, and here it's a highland, and, and each perspective overseeing the same flock in front of them have a different viewpoint. Um, there's, there's different issues, there's different concerns that that shepherd from his perspective has. And so normally we open up, for instance, to the book of Mark, and we let the text tell us what we're to understand uh, today on this very Sunday. But this is a Sunday that's unique where I've asked them to share from their own perspective as Pastor Derek, Pastor Don, as, as myself, how is it that you can encourage our, our church family and admonish and caution our church family from the way you see it? Um, perhaps a red light, be careful. A yellow light, I think this might be a problem. A green light, you guys are wonderful in this way. And so I don't know what they're going to say. We intentionally haven't shared notes. That's what makes this exciting for me too. There's no collaboration as Vanilla Ice would talk about, there is, there's just simple, I'm in my lane, they're each in their lane, and we're going to share with you what we believe God has for us. Um, so with this, I welcome uh, Pastor Derek. Let's, let's thank the Lord for him as our pastor. Good morning, and uh, that seven to nine minutes, as you guys know, is not going to be uh, easy, but we'll just listen fast and we'll get there. Um, thank you. This is an incredible honor um, and a humbling privilege to be uh, a pastor um, here at the Axis. You, many of you know my story, and um, so this is tremendous grace. And so in the few minutes that I have um, with you, I wanted to spend just a, a, just give a few thoughts on faithfulness. Um, the scriptures say a lot about faithfulness and the call to persevere and what that uh, what that looks like. 
um, and how important that is, um, our part in the, in the process. And so I've got three quick things. One, I just want to encourage you in 2022 to take care how you live. Take care how you live. In Paul's epistle to the Ephesians, um, chapter 5, he says, For you were once darkness. I like in this translation, it wasn't, it's not that you were once in darkness. You were once darkness. But now you are light in the world. You are light in the Lord. So live as children of the light. And then down in verse 15, he says, be careful, be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days we live in are evil. So the, the thoughts I had related to taking care of how we live is to pursue a mindfulness of God. Pursue a mindfulness of God this year. He should be, he should have a high God awareness. Um, it, he should be what's on your mind. He should be who you're pursuing, who you're talking to. When you're talking to yourself, just make that a prayer, right? It's this, it's this idea that Paul teaches us to pray without ceasing, to pray in all things, to pray on every occasion. But I would just encourage us in taking care how we live to start with the filter that there's a God of the universe who has made me and he has given me a job to do and he has redeemed me and he's always present and always active and has a work he wants to do. Always, in every single thing. I was having breakfast with my wife yesterday and she has some, um, some travel she has to do this week for her work and she ner was nervous about a couple of things. And she, and she made a comment. She said, I don't know if I should bring this up. It's, it's a burden. And, but, but, but then she said, but I just got done reading Christ's Sermon on the Mount. Where he said, don't be anxious about anything, but seek me and I'll take care of these things. And so the idea that there isn't a part, that there's a part of our life that's somehow cordoned off from the mindfulness of God and his presence and his activity and his care and concern for you is something you should take care. We should live in the light of spiritual knowledge. This gets to what we talked about last week. How do I, if I have a mindfulness of God, I want to make sure that I don't have a mindfulness of God in the wrong context. Many of us have a view of God or a view of Christ and his work that is not biblical. It's not spiritual. We were meditating this morning in John chapter 1 where he says that we were, we were, one gift was exchanged for another. Through, the, through Moses, we got the law, but through Jesus Christ, we received grace and truth. So living in the light of spiritual knowledge. And that's important because we are light now. And, and that, in the verse preceding verse 15 in Ephesians 5, Paul quotes the Old Testament where he says, wake up, O sleeper. Wake up, living in this light. Jesus even said in his Sermon on the Mount in uh, chapter 5, I think verse 16, he says, let your light, and you are now light, shine before men that they will see your good works. 
not so that they can applaud you or so that you can feel good about yourself, but so that the Father can be glorified. And so the, the third part of taking care of how you live is this idea of good works. It's this idea of righteous behavior. It's this idea that faithfulness without action, faithfulness without obedience is dead. It's not effective. It doesn't accomplish anything. And many of us, and myself included, we get into these, get into these ruts and we get into these patterns because I'm not faithful where I need to be. And part of that comes because we have forced a, di- a dichotomy in our lives. There's the secular, and there's the psychological, and there's the scientific, and there's the academic, and there's all of the, and then there's the spiritual. And I just encourage you this year to crash the dichotomy in on itself. Just let all of that collapse in on itself. So that in your mind and in your heart, there's no distinction. There's not a spiritual answer for this relational issue or work issue or question you have in your mind or this trying to figure out what to do next. And then there's the practical answer to those questions. There's the psychological answer to those questions. There's the academic answer to those questions. And I just kind of reconcile those the best I can and kind of keep... Now, just, just let those things collapse in on themselves. All wisdom, all truth, all good information that will help you make a good decision comes from God. But it's only effective in our lives when we don't bifurcate them, when we push them in. We say, okay, Father, I need help here. I need to know. I need your energy. And it'll, it'll shock you sometimes what billboard will stand out and be truth that you need to hear or what you'll hear or what you'll see or what you'll read. The second thing I'd like to do um, this morning is admonish you not to presume on his grace. Don't presume on the grace of God in 2022. This was me for many, many years. Colossians chapter 1, Paul says, Once you were alienated from God and you were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. But now, he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. That's beautiful. If you continue in your faithfulness, established and firm, and do not move drift from the hope held out in the gospel. I lived a life that was prayerless and careless for many years. I don't have a conscious memory without God. And so I took him for granted. I was in the grip of besetting sin and anger for years. I had a form of godliness I denied all the power and energy that comes from walking with God. I would chase the high. I think many of us may do that. And it's okay to find places of refuge, find moments of refuge, looking for that feeling of God's presence. But that's not all of God's presence. God 
works in a thousand different ways. And just as we got done singing just a few moments ago, it's not all roses and rainbows. And if God is only in the roses and rainbows, if he's only in the highs, then we're presuming on him. So don't deceive yourself either by saying that God's got this. I can live kind of how I want because I can just ask for forgiveness. Maybe we even say I'm good enough. And more than one of us sitting on this platform this morning have been haunted by the words of Christ in Matthew 7, also in Christ's sermon. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord. Remember that the work of God is the redemption of mankind from the power of the demonic forces, from the power of death, and from the effects of sin. Don't presume on this. And lastly, I would exhort you to never despair of God's mercy. Never despair of God's mercy. For everything you're not, his mercy is more. That relationship you struggle with, the work you do, the battle you fight, the pain you're enduring, the sin, the sin you resist is known to God. And he is a very present help in time of need. I love the psalmist in Psalm 116, chapter one, or verse one. The whole psalm, I encourage you to read it and meditate on it, but he says, I love the Lord because he has heard my voice and my pleas for mercy. Verse two, because he inclined his ear to me, therefore I will call on him for as long as I live. That's faithfulness. That's faithfulness. You are an icon of God. You bear his image. You were created for good works, curated by Christ himself. And you are a sacred space for the Holy Spirit. And you are being transformed into the very image you reflect into brighter and brighter glory. So throw yourself on this mercy a hundred times a day. The greatest act of faithfulness of a Christian is not to be some superstar Christian. It has all the buttons pushed and all the boxes checked. The greatest act of a faithful Christian is repentance and obedience, humility and dependence, and a dogged determination to persevere in the faith. Christianity is not a passive enterprise. So join the fight, stay in the fight, lean in, take ground back from the enemy in your life and in the world around you. This is why we're here. My name is Don. I'm one of the pastors here at the Axis. Um, those who know me best know I always, when I, when I come up, I'm, I'm always nervous. Um, 
because I want what I say to be extremely accurate. I, I take this, um, this setting extremely, extremely serious. Uh, and this morning with my two brothers, I was very calm before Derek began to speak because, as Pastor Jeremy said, we don't know what each other are saying. But as Derek began to talk, I see the weight of God in this place has overwhelmed me because you'll see how my thoughts are laced into Pastor Derek's thought. And you may get a totally different perspective from Pastor Jeremy, and I love what he says as pastors sitting in different places on the, on the mountain or valleys. But wow, thank you, Pastor Derek. So I found myself trying to breathe uh, just to regain focus on, on what I have for you. So, so where, where would I view the landscape today? I view it that, that I want what I see uh, not in just this body but the capital C church in, at large that we are uh, slipping sometime into what would call, we call moving with the culture. Uh, and we, we do that uh, naturally. We, we, instead of speaking into the culture, if we're not careful, we will, we will move into it and, and look just like it. Um, and, and so what my prayer would be is for a deeper biblical worldview, a deeper biblical context, a perspective, if you will. And we get this naturally when we read the text in, in places like, 2 Corinthians 4, where, where there's great suffering and hardship going on, and, and Paul says these things, our light and momentary afflictions are producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond our comprehension as we look to things that are not seen but things that are unseen. Listen to that perspective. For the things that are seen are temporary and the things that are unseen are eternal. And therefore, if we can grasp that kind of perspective. It, it, it deepens our, our worldview through the eyes of, of God, through the eyes and hands and feet and body of Christ that we are. And we've been given the mind of Christ if we tap into it regularly. But we can assimilate to culture in such a way that we move right with it and grieve the very spirit that's placed within us. Biblical perspective, Colossians 3, 1. Since then you have been raised up with Christ. Set your mind on heavenly things. Set your mind on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father. I'll move that out. Sorry, y'all. So, so if we have those moments of, of seeing in the text when we're there that, that the whole of Scripture is moving us into, the, into being different, and yet called into, by works, into that culture as a transforming influence, we, we begin to see in a place like Philippians, I just chose Philippians, there are many others where subliminally almost, the, the, the writers try to tell us that we are living in this dichotomy. We do live in two places. Paul in 1 Corinthians, in Philippians, in Colossians, in, in Galatians, uh, James talks about the dispersion as he writes, to the dispersion of the 12 tribes. First Peter 
Literally, I love that word. He goes to the aliens who are in, and he lists all those churches in Asia Minor. In other words, aliens, when I say that, it is those who have faith in Christ who are just journeying here on the planet. And yet, as Philippians, that I'll get back to, tells us in chapter 3, we are citizens of heaven. Feet on the ground, but belonging somewhere else. So, so where's our perspective? Where's our worldview as we encounter struggles, hardships, death? When, when I began to process Jeremy's call to us this week, what have we seen over the last two years? Bring some of that to bear. We, we see incredible hardships, isolation, death. And yet, as we would hear in Philippians, we are, we are holy those who are set apart, those who are in Christ Jesus and yet in locations like Philippi, a place where in 42 B.C. it became a Roman colony because so many ex-soldiers of the Roman army were colonized there. And so for Christians 90 years later to take root there, they took root in that culture of an empire that was crushing and demanding in a plethora of idolatry of other gods, Diana being the chief one there in Philippi, in emperor worship of, of the government, if you will. Two temples exist there in Philippi. And yet, what does he call the brothers and sisters there in verses 14 and 15? Children of God. You're a child of God, set apart for his purposes holy, above reproached, in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. And we, we take those two words a little bit out of context. They, they literally mean there in the Greek, it, you are set in a world that's bent in a direction not toward God. Just literally obtuse to him. I don't want to talk about him, I don't want to be him, and you don't do the same. Just going the other way. It's not the words that we think of crooked and, and, and therefore perverse. It's, it's just I don't agree with it. And so they're set in the midst of that word but called the children of God. But he says, as you are in that very world, you are among them appearing as light. Luminaries, literally, as stars in the night. Sometimes I'll, I'll always take my dog out at 10 at night and I look up at the star and I think, am I shining like that star set in a sea of darkness that surrounds it? Am I distinguishable as being in Christ or do I assimilate to the culture? Do I allow the perspective, my worldview, to be narrowed by the information that I receive daily? Or do I, as he says, do all things without grumbling or disputing? And there again, grumbling echoes Exodus 16, number 16, that generation. Echoes Scripture, Paul's words, echoing Scriptures of grumbling, of disputing there again, not being unified, of, of turning, in the Greek, turning away from God. And when we see that, that we are to be these luminaries set there, he, he gives us this participle phrase, holding fast the word of life. Holding fast, epeko. It, it means... It means to grasp it, to retain it, the word of life, but to hold it forth. And some translations actually give both words, holding fast, holding forth, so that others, Matthew 5, 16, can see your light shine and glorify God in heaven. 
And if we're to do that, I say that, that what I'm going to caution is, is what I've seen just in general in culture. It is that we are inundated with a deluge of data, of information. We, we Google over 5 billion times a day. I had to Google to find that out. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> and Twitter, I think there are as many as 500 million, I may have my numbers wrong, tweets a day, like 6,000 a second. And you're in that culture. There are 2.5 times 10 to the 18, 18 zeros after 2.5, bits or bytes of data created daily. And this stream of information is flowing all around us. When I was a little boy, born in my year, the news went from being on TV for 15 minutes a day to 30, the year I was born, 15 to 30, 30 minutes. And the guy who ended his broadcast, Walter Cronkite, would say, that's the way it is. In other words, trying to give you some objective truth. My grandparents on my mother's side, they both lived near me, would read one newspaper, the Tennessean, and my paternal grandparents would read the other in the evening. They got the evening paper called The Banner. And then they would take those newspapers and line their trash cans with them because there weren't trash bags. They used the newspaper. And that metaphor has stuck with me. For one day I set my glass of water on my grandmother's text, her Bible, the only one she owns. And she said, honey, I'll never forget the words. I wasn't a Christian, but they stuck with me. Honey, that, that's my Bible. She used this word. I can remember it like it was yesterday. That's the Holy Scriptures. And so her frame of reference, what held sway in their lives was this, though they were reading the newspapers. But today, research says that you and I are, are literally could consume as over 150 newspapers a day. That much data is, is coming into us. And if we allow ourselves to be that and not a luminary, just moving with the flow in the darkness that surrounds us, research has been done that it's doing something to our created brain, that this deluge of information without the proper perspective, worldview, biblical perspective, biblical worldview, is making us adapt to a more logic-sided, left-sided brain and removing part of our use of this side of our brain, which is the space between us, the context, the relational aspect, because we have to make so many judgments about the information we're receiving that we're losing empathy. And I believe Christ moans at that. Because as, as, as anyone reads the text, sees him, he never passes by somebody that calls out for him. And he meets them in the space between, relationally. These men and women in this text live in that space in between. And when they don't, they miss out on what God would have them doing on the planet. And so if I, I had a red, yellow, and green light for you, the, the red light 
would be to take care of what you are inputting, the streams of information that's coming into you without deepening the biblical perspective. And I'll go back if you're taking notes, June 7th, 2020. And if you want to see a sermon in the context of the turmoil that began a lot of where we are today, Pastor Jeremy stood here and gave one. It's on our website, June 7, 2020. And so what I say is not new this morning. He, he said, live under the full weight of Scripture. Don't proof text. Don't just read a snippet. Live under its full weight. Contextually, he was telling us, live under this worldview. And he cautioned us against one-sided, receiving one-sided information. That, that as one of my seminary professors, who was a brilliant man, said, read broadly, don't be afraid of the other side. Somewhere you will walk in the middle and be a unifying factor for those on the right and those on the left, as Christ would be. So, so take care of what we put in there. Live under the full weight. Pastor Jeremy said, give preference to Scripture. Give as much time or more, he, he admonished us, more time than we do to our social media accounts. Wow. There's my red light. Yellow light would be if, if I said, oh, just, just pause and think about this. It would be to, to, again, discern truth. That in the world where we are receiving what we consider, what everyone says is their truth, there is one truth. And therefore, deepening our biblical perspective through study, worship, and times together you will go deeper and shine brighter in the midst of the surrounding darkness as the luminary that you are. And I would say what I love that I've seen recently uh, here at the Axis is, is more hunger for this word. I love that. You, you don't know how passionate I am about this right here. And I just want you to consume as much as possible. And we'll do everything in my power to make that happen. I see it in, in, in things like the PLC that's formed. I see it in the women's retreat. I, I got there uh, late, and they were all at dinner, and all of a sudden the room was full of people like this. And I, I wept on the way home, thanking God for the privilege of seeing it, witnessing that kind of hunger. And I see it in, in, in this congregation the desire to be here week after week, to hear, to sit under teaching, and then to go out there and apply. And I say press on in that. And I love, as you know, to give you homework. So one place I'd give you homework. If you want to see a worldview shaped in the midst of what I'd say is a crucible, turn to Acts 4 and just read Acts 4 when you get home. I'm going to show you just two parts of it, and then I'm done. If you'll read the context that comes before, very important, right? <laughs> Biblical context. It's a very trying time in the city of Jerusalem. Somebody's been healed, and Peter and John have done that healing, and they are being pressed by the authorities. When they leave the authorities and go back to their body, that body begins to pray. And listen at their biblical context when they start praying. O oh Lord, it is you who made the heaven and earth. They set their feet 
foundationally on a biblical perspective of he who created all things. And the sea and all that's in them, who by the Holy Spirit and through your father, our father David, your servant, said, in other words, the guys who wrote this book under the influence of the Holy Spirit said, and they bring a text from Psalm 2 written a millennium before it occurred into their present moment. That is biblical worldview. Seeing that the nations are raging around and why do they do so when God has made such a plan in Jesus Christ. And they use that text there. And throughout, they begin to say things like this. Both Herod and Pontius Pilate, the Gentiles and the people of Israel were all gathered against your servant Jesus. Now listen to that. To do whatever, and I always finish that sentence, whatever they thought best, they crucified him. No, to do whatever your hand and your purpose predestined to occur. Wow. Nothing occurs without the sovereign hand of God when you have a biblical perspective because that's the truth. The times we've been through two years, some God is working out an eternal weight of glory beyond our comparison. And they finished with this. They prayed, and when they prayed, they asked the Lord to take note of the threats that surround them and grant that their servants, and I always fill that in, grant that your servants, and you know how I'd be praying, that we can be free of persecution, that we can be blessed, that we can just go about our business. No. That's not the way they pray when they have this biblical perspective of lights in the midst of darkness. They pray that your servants may speak your word with all boldness. Gospel-centered, biblical perspective on mission on the planet, even though their citizenship is in heaven. That's my greatest desire for us. Watch your input discern truth, and stay hungry. Thank you. There's certainly um, good similarities between our um, perspectives that we're sharing, and um, I'm excited about this. I think the Lord will, will use today's collection of elders admonishments and encouragements uh, to direct our church into the into the coming months Um, as a lot of you know Lama Tresa our sister ministry partner here at the Axis entered into the joy of her master and Savior on Friday morning and there's a lot that I feel in regards to this uh, but at the heart it it uh, saddens me uh, that she's no longer with us she handed out bulletins, she prepared the elements of communion, she helped clean, she helped put out signage in the morning, she greeted you when you came in. While I'm sad, I'm also thrilled that she's with Jesus Christ. We reviewed her uh, partnership packet and, and read over her testimony once more on Friday. And uh, just remarkable uh, beauty in, in her story, knowing that she's a Christian. But this is another example of the need for a gospel hope and perspective and peace that provides us here with, as well as a very clear and real reminder that things, they're not the way that they should be yet. And I say yet because I know and believe with all that's within me 
that our trajectory as Christians ends with us seeing the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And then we hear a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, with them. And they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning of any sort, nor crying, nor pain anymore for the former things of the fall of what we've ruined since the garden have passed away. And he who is seated on the throne said, behold, I am making, forcing things. I'm making all things new. So there's coming a day when we as Christians will live in constant and complete peace of comfort and joy abounding forevermore, but we're not there yet. So as we wait for this day, as we endure these not yet days of our future hope, I want us as a church, you, to endure these days well. I want you to have the mind of Christ as you wait for the return of Christ. And I desire that you have the proper perspective about your circumstances as you wait and long for your circumstances to be made perfect. It's important that you keep your biblical wits about you. It's not perfect yet, and you know that. We all know that. So it's good that we not complain and moan and weep about our circumstances not being perfect. They're not supposed to be perfect. Yet, you and I both desire things to be good and perfect and just and comfortable. What you desire is in the plan of God. It's written for us to expect. What you desire is good and it will certainly happen. But it's not to happen yet. You must wait and you must patiently endure. Psalm 27, 14, wait for the Lord and be strong. Be strong in your waiting and let your heart take courage and wait with courage and strength for the Lord. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. Look at the farmer. He's waiting for the precious fruits of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains that he can't produce himself. You also be patient Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. And don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing ready at the door. But as an example of suffering and patience, brothers and sisters, look at the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed and heroes in our hearts those who remained steadfast. And you have heard of the steadfastness of our friend Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord in his story, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful through Job's sanctification. So Axis Church family, you are the most wonderful church in the world. And I mean that. 
I know a lot of churches. I know a lot of church leaders. I know a lot of missionaries and servants. And you are collectively the healthiest group of Jesus admirers that I know. You are some of the sweetest and nicest and funnest missionaries to a given city that I've ever met in my life. And I could spend days on end telling of wonderful stories about each one of you. And I often do when we have guests come on Sundays, like perhaps some of you are guests with us today. I'll stand at the back and give out cars. And if you're patient to wait as I give out cars to the little kids and wait your turn as an adult, <laughs> uh, I will talk to you and welcome you. And I often will say, look at these people. It's like, just look, I mean, these are wonderful people. This is your first Sunday here. This is what I'll tell them. This is your first Sunday here. And you don't know any of these people, but you're in a room full of wonderful people. And I'll say, let me tell you about this lady. Let me tell you about this guy over here. Oh, let me tell you about this college student. Oh, this marriage. You see this marriage? Let me tell you a story about this marriage. And I just, I, I brag on you all. I tell of all sorts of stories of you guys. I admire and I respect you. I'm ridiculously proud of you. You are my crown. You're my joy. And I deeply love you. With that said, here's my admonishment for you. And don't disconnect what I just said for what I'm about to say. My admonishment comes from that love that I have for you. Not out of some strange discomfort or frustration but from the love that I have for you. 1 Thessalonians 4.3, this is the will of God, your sanctification. If you want to know what sanctification is, find something you don't like in life. That's your sanctification. For every time you've used the word toxic, if you would replace it with the word sanctification, you would understand what Christianity is. Yeah, that's a toxic relationship. Okay, what if that's a sanctifying relationship? The will of God is your sanctification, and your sanctification is never comfortable or easy, or it's not your sanctification. Unlike Mama Teresa, you and I are in the not yet, as she sits in worship this morning in the already. The demand for counseling has surged, waiting lists are long, medication needs have increased, children's mental health issues are intensifying, couples are struggling, finances are unstable, employment is constantly shifting, and therapists are being pushed to their limits. So many people seeking support and needing help. This is true of people all around us. This is true of us. This is the will of God, your sanctification. This is the not yet of our sanctification. Sanctification is becoming in the moment who we already are in the future, in eternity. Sanctification is being, is being set apart slowly, made holy slowly for the purposes of God. And we live in a day and age where a lot of things that are difficult are canceled or removed or seen as too difficult. But in the scriptures... Old Testament and New Testament, we see people enduring their suffering in order to prove that their hope isn't in the world or the comfort this world can give them. And be reminded that Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. 2020 was for our good. 2021 was for our good. 
The athlete doesn't cancel the weight room and training because it gets too difficult. It's the difficulty and the resistance that makes them who they need to be to be successful. The medical student doesn't cancel the library and the late night studying because it demands so much of their mind and their time. It's what they must endure to be able to care and help and offer health to others. The farmer doesn't quit when the soil is too dry and hard and tough to till. The farmer grips more tightly and plows on. Yet when the Christian, the postmodern Christian, hits a difficult relationship or situation, they want to run away. And they often don't consider that God is right in the middle of it all. There seems to be a significant absence of grit in our sanctification. And if that's true, and I believe it is, there's an absence of sanctification among us. Yet sanctification is the will of God for you. And the way of growth for you is through the struggle, not to be taken from the struggle. You can't detour or outsource sanctification. And if you try to do this, you're removing the very thing that is intended to mature you and produce a greater strength in you. Don't cancel your sanctification. Endure it with a gospel grit. And here's what I mean by gospel grit. It means that as you're hit with sanctifying moments and and situations in your life, You take time to focus and pray like Jesus did in the Garden of Gethsemane. Father, take this situation from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. Sanctification goes through the storm, not around it. Sanctification comes as we endure, not as we quit. So in tough times when they come our way, it's fine to say, come Lord Jesus, but say more than that. Say, use this to help me shine for you and not be shaken. So yes, come Lord Jesus, but man, help me endure this until you do come Lord Jesus. Don't let me just drop my hands and give up waiting for your return. Keep your eyes to the skies. Yes, your Redeemer is on his way, but be reminded there are many who are to be with him when he does return who don't know him yet. And so let this call us to action, that he's not here yet. And let's not only wait for his return, let's be active so that all people will know him when he does return. So when things aren't perfect yet, don't lose your wits. Develop that gospel grit and prove that your hope is set on something higher than that situation, higher than that relational dynamic. It's set on something eternal. And don't give credit for what the Lord is, don't give credit to the enemy for what the Lord is doing in your story. God deserves glory from you as you endure with hope and patience. Remember, the Father disciplines the one whom he loves, the son and daughter in whom he receives. He's treating you as sons and daughters. And for those who remember Joseph in the Old Testament, Joseph did not cancel his brothers when they tried to kill him and sell him as a slave. He had this perspective that what the enemy was trying to use for evil, God had pre-purposed for good. And when, 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 when Christians live this out, when this Christian maturity and perspective comes upon us today, it gives us poise in the moment as we endure. And it brings a deeper purpose and meaning to the difficulties that we do have. But it also provides the unbelieving world something beautiful to look at that stands in stark contrast to how others handle tragedy and difficulty. And always remember that we follow the example of Jesus who embraced great difficulty for the sake of a greater good as he lived perfectly 
as our representative. As he died in our place for our sins, bearing the wrath of God, the judgment that we deserve, as our divine substitute on the cross. Good came from this, from the death of God on the cross. Good will come from your story. Keep your eyes lifted above your circumstances to your Savior. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, my family, whom I love, whom I long for, my joy and my crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved, and rejoice in the Lord always, even through your situation. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say it, rejoice let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Don't be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and asking of God, supplication with thanksgiving, let your hearts flow with your request to God. And you know what? The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, It'll fortify and guard and protect your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So finally, family, don't gloss over this. There's a lot of things you look at. I remember two phrases in computer programming back in the 90s, <laughs> before there was really many computers. Geigo and WYSIWYG, right? Garbage in, garbage out. And WYSIWYG, what you see is what you get in programming. Be careful what you take in your entertainment choices, regardless of how they're rated on Netflix, number one most streaming show today. Oh, let's watch it. Let's veg out. Let's deep dive this new series. Caring less about what it's doing to your minds and your hearts. Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, put these filters on your streaming devices. Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. And what you've learned and received and heard and seen in me and Derek and Don, practice these things. And you know what? The God of peace will be with you. Amen. You've been listening to a sermon from the Axis Church in downtown Nashville. For more information, please visit theaxischurch.org.